I'm Father Scott Vanderveer, and this is Profiles of Endurance. It was the great philosopher Soren Kierkegaard who once said that life is like rowing in a rowboat. We're facing backwards as we row forwards. And so we only understand where we've been after we pass by. That's true for all of us. And we get to hear that in a very special way when we learn about the story of Sister Mary Frances Cannon, a sister of St. Francis from the community based in Syracuse, New York. She started her life in a very different place than Syracuse and in a different faith than the Catholic faith. But she's always been a strong believer in God and a strong follower in the ways of Christ. She could never have predicted the twists and turns that God would lead her on in her life. And her story is one that all of us can gain strength and hope from. I am joined here today by Sister Mary Frances and am so grateful for her presence here with us. Sister Mary Frances, welcome and thank you for joining us. Father Scott, thank you for having me. What a privilege to be here, to be able to share my journey and encourage and praise God in what he's doing and has done in my life. Beautiful and a, a privilege for me and for all of us. I, I've gotten to be friends with Sister Mary Francis going on 25 years now. We both served together during a, a phase of our lives uh, long ago. So, so it's a joy to be with you. And I'd like to start for our listeners at the very beginning, as they say, a very good place to start. Let's go back to Spartanburg, South Carolina and the baby boom. And that's where you got your start. Talk to us about growing up in Spartanburg and about your, your parents and your siblings. Um, yes, I'd love to share that. My, um, my dad was in the Army. My grandfather was from Tennessee, Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, we moved to, to, my grandparents moved to Spartanburg, South Carolina. And we lived with my grandparents um, while my dad was in, serving time in the Army. Um, my older sister, I have a twin brother, Frank, and Francis, myself. And so we lived there for a while until we moved to the farm. I was raised Southern Baptist in um, a large Southern Baptist church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And um, that's where my faith began. That's, that was my religion, my parents. Um, my dad and my mom would take us all to church. We'd go like little ducks. I have four brothers and one sister, um, some of them in heaven now. Um, and I guess the, the groundedness in my Baptist faith was scripture. And that was the gift that I received was the memorizing of the Bible, the memorizing of the scripture, learning um, the life, um, uh, the love of God in the Old Testament, the... Um, life of Jesus in the New Testament and so I, I take that precious gift with me. Mm. Baptists are known for very strong devotion to faith. Did you go to church more than just on Sundays? Oh yes, we were there every time the doors opened. Oh. We would have, we would have um, every Wednesday we would have meals together. Um, we would have RCIA and GA. We were in the choir. My dad and mom both believed in 
that um, everyone should at least be able to play something musical just to lean on when times got tough. Music lifts us up. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. So what a what a scene. They, like you said, the mama and daddy ducks bringing the little ducklings there all the time. What would you say, how would you describe your relationship with, with God as a child at that time? How did you understand God? What was your, what was your connection to God like personally? insight for you to have. I think a lot of our listeners might might be pondering that because you know, I think you're right. We call God Father and and God is many things. I mean, God being God, for God to be the the maker of all things, the ground of all things, God is not just Father, God is also Mother, God is creator, God is, you know, infinite light, everything. But but right, because we understand God as Father, heavenly Father, which God is, that means our relationship with our earthly fathers often reveals who God is for us. Very true. Oh, powerful. I think for some people that may be the first time they've, they've considered that. That's powerful. T- talk to us a little bit. Because you were growing up in the South, in a strongly Southern Baptist family and community, did you ever hear about the Catholic Church at that time in your life? Did you know any Catholics? What were what was your association with Catholicism or the Catholic faith at that time? I think it's very interesting, Scott, Father Scott, because um, we had this huge Baptist church, and in the South, that's what you have. Mm. Churches are huge, like the opposite in the North, but. We had this huge church that took over almost three city blocks downtown. Wow. And right across the street was this teeny, ninety Catholic church. <laughs> my brothers, my brother, my sister, and one of my brothers went to the Catholic school because their birthdays were late and mother and daddy didn't want to keep them back. And so they went to the Catholic Church, only those two. Oh, my. All the connection I had. I had no other connection with it. Um, And I never questioned it because I was young. But later, it was just very interesting to find out that they went there. Wow. So that was my my only contact. Did they learn things there that were un, that were unknown to the rest of your family? Did they did they learn about some of the things that Catholics treasure and emphasize, like like the relationship with Jesus's mother or or the role of the sacraments? Did did you have any sense that they were learning about those things when the rest of the family wasn't? No, 
for their first years, and then they went. They could go into public school. I see. And that, was, that was the goal. You know, it was yeah. not to send them to learn, but to um, send them so that they could not get behind. There again, that image of rowing, sitting backwards, and <laughs> and rowing forwards. Isn't that fascinating? Because you, our listeners will find out as we go through your story, you've spent a significant amount of your life in schooling, in Catholic schools, working with children. How amazing that those were your siblings in the children you're, you're working with in this time in your life. Isn't life amazing? Oh, my Absolutely. What is that? You just can't outdo our God. Oh, you can't outdo God. Oh, my. So as you grew and as you became an adult and then and then went through the chapters of your life, you felt called, although you treasured many, many things from your Southern Baptist childhood, you felt called to another denomination of Christianity. And I think a lot of our listeners have experienced that, where they've been, they're maybe not right now practicing the same faith or the same denomination that they were raised in. And I think they could gain a lot from that. Talk to us a bit about when you first felt called to another denomination of the Christian church. Um, I was in college. I went to Limestone College um, in Gaffney, South Carolina. It was an all-girls school then. Um, and when I went, I just, I felt I needed to just branch out. Something was stirring in my heart that said, I just want to know more. Scott, when I was a child, we would have in the Baptist church, we would have the grape juice and the wafer, I mean mm. the bread. Sure. And I knew back then, I knew that there was more to that. Mm. Parents could not explain it to me, um, and I remember asking, you know, what? There's got to be. There's just more to this. Mm. And so I think my heart just went on search, mm. and I started searching. So I became Methodist in college, and then um, after college, I um, well, it, no, it was both both my last year of college that I. Um, became Presbyterian and then um, graduated, married, um, had children, and became Episcopalian. And the children grew and then um, left the nest, and then I began a journey. So that's kind of the steps I took, and all along the way, I never, you know, I just gathered, like you said, I gathered golden nuggets, mm. and there was no I wasn't, I wasn't there to judge, I wasn't searching, I wanted to know what, what is this, what is this life all about, I just want to know you. Yes. Yeah. You know what's interesting about, now we'll go a little more deeply into that journey, but at first listen, at first listen, the thing that stands out to me is that you were always pulled by something 
rather than pushed out of something else. You weren't leaving. You weren't leaving disgruntled and angry and hurt and and bitter. You didn't say, I'm done with this church and I don't, I hope I never see you. None of that. You were drawn. It was being drawn. You were being, you were being pulled, not pushed. No, the shepherd was leading me. Oh, so now, now this is interesting. Tell me if I've got this right, because I, um, you know, as a, as a Catholic, lifelong Catholic, what we call a cradle Catholic, but as somebody who taught, you know, religion, uh, I taught comparative religion in high school, but, um, sometimes, you know, a lot of us, when we're, when we're learning about the different religions of the world, we, we know more about Hinduism and Islam than we know about the other denominations of our own faith. So tell me if this is right. Southern Baptist, the real gift of, of the Southern Baptist is the love of the word. Amen. A, isn't that right? Then you yeah. go to the Methodist and the Methodists love praising God. They're the ones that had all the hymns, right? They yeah. love praise. Yes. Then you exactly. and and so you had a you had a great experience of praise with them. Then you go to the Presbyterians and the Presbyterians it seems to me are often studied as a really interesting hinge in the uh, in the Christian church because they have a lot of the praise and the scripture focus of the Baptists and the Methodists, but that's one of those first reli- first denominations of Christianity that starts to value sacraments a little differently. Yes. And starts to value, you know, almost has a structure of almost priests, gets a little bit away from pastors and ministers, a little bit more toward priests. Exactly. That, got it. And then the Episcopal Church is very much like the Catholic Church. They have priests. They have sacraments. Yes. It's yes. the Church of England. Yes. Oh, my yes. goodness. Absolutely. I, he, I was led so... I'm trying to find that word. I was led so mercifully, mm. so gently, um, as his child to where he wants me to be. And he does all of us that way. He's no respecter of persons. Mm. He loves us all He loves us all the same. Everyone so is invited on that journey. Everyone. Amen. And then he took me to... Catholicism, and the beauty of how he took me to that um, is just, was just, it's just the way our loving God is, and I, I knew that I knew that I knew when I visited a Catholic church with a dear friend that I didn't even know was Catholic, and I sat, I walked in the church and I was enveloped. With and penetrated with a love I'd never felt before. Oh my! I sat down and I just kept praying, Lord, show me what you want me to do. I don't know what to do. And um, when we got to the mass itself, and that question that had been in my heart for so long as a child, he answered it right there. He showed me that this is what it's about. This is my body. This is my blood. Take and eat. And I, oh, I can really can never put words to them ever. Mm, mm, mm. I was, I knew I was home. 
You know, some, you know something that you once said to me that has stuck with me, and as I hear your love for the Eucharist, I just, I, it, it's, it just struck me. A lot of people, when they leave a church, whether it's leaving one parish for another or leaving one denomination for another, one of the things you'll hear them say is, I, I just didn't feel fed there. I wasn't fed. I wasn't fed. And so I went somewhere else to be fed. And there's some value in understanding that our, our faith has to nourish us. We have to feel fed. We have to feel like the, um, you know, the experience really is, is nourishing. But you said something that I will never forget. You said a Catholic should never say, I'm not being fed at church. Never. I remember you said you are being filled with God's body and blood and soul and divinity. You are being, I remember the way you said it. You said you are being fed with the gift of finest wheat. I did. (laughs) (laughs) There is no other. (laughs) Oh. Oh my goodness. And once you know that, you've got it. Once you know that, right. And that doesn't mean that it's not important to find good homilies and to go to a place that's welcoming and to have a church that has programs for children. You do yeah. need that, and maybe that's what they're saying when they said I wasn't being fed, but your your point is well taken. That is not the language to use when you are fed by the Eucharist. Amen. If the Eucharist is the only thing you got at church today, you got more than you need. Amen. That's all I need. Oh. <laughs> All right. I think I think we need if I I think if I were hearing this story for the first time, I would want to go back a little bit because we've now we've gone through this this journey of faith, but we've also some time has really elapsed because in that time, you've had several careers, you've had children and raised them. You've a lot has gone on. So before we before we depart from the the story of your journey through those denominations so beautifully shared. Thank you for that. Talk to us a bit about some of the golden nuggets that you picked up along the way that you even today as a Catholic sister still appreciate from that journey. What are some of the golden nuggets? Maybe take us back to the Baptist tradition to begin since that's your roots. What are the golden nuggets from your from your childhood faith that you treasure to this day? Um, Scott, I think one, Father Scott, I think one of, well, there are many, many, and I can never begin to say them all. God is always surprising us, but I think one is the, is the fact that I do, I have been grounded and rooted in Scripture, and um, that is so important to me because that in my prayer life, that's one of the things that I lean back on. I go back to the scripture. I go back because we are led through the spirit, you know, to be able to draw closer to our God in relationship. And if I don't know him, I can't be in relationship with him. And so it's prayer and then scripture that just helps me through my meditation and just learning that I need to listen. Mm. Not just read, but to listen as well, to be able to have that full circle. So the Baptist, my Baptist faith, um, my parents were so strong in their faith. Um, And they, like I said, we were at church all the time. They, uh, my dad was 
uh, Sunday school leader. Uh, we were involved in everything there was. So I cherish that time. But I'm also thankful that um, God leads us where we need to be if mm. we stay open. And so in that openness that he gave me, and the, the one grace I will constantly thank him for, many of them, is the grace of perseverance. Mm. And to give me that grace of perseverance to continue to journey the journey, no matter what I saw or what I didn't see. I think the other gift, and I could say this is in every one of them, God protected me from prejudice. Mm. So much prejudice in the world today. It's my way. It's not your way. It's my religion. It's my faith. You're wrong. I'm mm. right. Mm. I'm too but it's not that at all. We all have a piece of the truth. Mm. We have to. We're created in God's image. And he loves us extravagantly. Mm. So not having that kept me open to wherever he was leading me. Or I, I don't know where I'd be, but he gave in his mercy what I needed. Oh. And, and like you said, shielded you, protected you from something yes. that would have been natural to pick up like a virus. Yes. Yes. So I'm just... Um, I'm. Yeah. I'm so blessed. So, and there were there were many other gifts, um, but I think to to really think about those those two were ones that really kept me focused and fastened. No matter what happened in my life, the ups, the downs, the all arounds, the good, the bad. Oh, I, I just love that it t- it takes you being at this stage of your of your your trip in the rowboat to see how much love and, and guidance and mercy was part of the whole journey. Amen. Oh, it's, I love it because yeah, it doesn't. One thing I would say is that humans, my experience of, of being a human and working with a lot of human beings is that we really would like to be at our destination right away. We'd really like to know. We like to have our, as, as we say, our peas in a pod and our ducks in a row. Yes. And we're not. And so for you to say, I became Methodist one year, and then a few years later, I felt called to the Presbyterians. Yes. And that makes up, in a way, it's when you look from, from this vantage point, it's a very exciting and dynamic journey. But when you're living it, it can make you feel homeless. It can. You're right. That's a great word. <laughs> oh, man. Right? Yeah, wow. but there's a freedom in homelessness. Uh, <laughs> amen. Did you ever feel judged along that way? A lot of your, a lot of the people that you grew up with and your, your, they, they stayed the denomination that you were raised in. They never left. Right. Did that cause you to feel a little bit uncomfortable or maybe misunderstood or maybe even judged sometimes? I think so. Um, Father Scott, you, you know, in the South, it's just not an understanding of Catholicism. Ah. And when I, when I left the South to go to the North to become a sister, um, there was a lot I didn't understand, but I see that, um, it's that lack of understanding and openness that barricades us from the beautiful gift of each other that God has given us 
in whatever our journeys are. Mm. Mm. And you know, you know, I just keep going back to that image that you had of uh, of your of you felt shielded, protected from that prejudice. It almost feels like in this time, as we're recording this uh, interview, we're living in a time right now in the in the spring of 2021 when everyone is seeking to get vaccinated from COVID-19. We're, look, we're looking for vaccination. It feels to me like a really beautiful and worthy prayer would be for us to pray that God will vaccinate us from prejudice. And wouldn't, isn't that so important? May I be vaccinated from that because it's a terrible virus it's it's deadlier than maybe all the others yes so how beautiful for you to use that yeah yeah there's not and if there's not an understanding whenever there's a place where people don't understand another it's very hard for them to be welcoming and loving and including of the other it is very hard and you know scott father scott we um i think we don't take the time to truly, truly listen to each other. If I can truly hear you, then we are heart talking. Mm. Heart and mind will come together and we will be one in Christ Jesus. We are the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Christ has no, as they say, Christ has no body on this earth but us. Right. He ascended into heaven. We're his body on earth. His hands and his feet. Amen. Oh, my. Oh, my. And, you know, that is what's what's so powerful about that is that it's so important that we stay rooted in how incredibly miraculous and otherworldly that is. We can get into a habit of using that almost as jargon at times. Oh, we're the body of Christ, you know, and we right. sing and it it sounds like a nice platitude. It sounds like something that would look nice on a bumper sticker or a plaque in your kitchen, <laughs> but it's so much truer than that. So much more. Oh, so much more. So tell us a little bit. You did not come to the Catholic faith until, was your nest empty at that point? So let's go back to your children. Tell us about your children and about what you were, what, what raising them was like and what your life was like then. Well, I was a single mom for a long time. Um, I have three children. Um, I have Susan Benita and I have, um, I'm going to cry. And I have um, Thomas O'Dell. And I have Mary Corbin. Mary Corbin is in heaven. Mm. Um, and so um, God blessed me with three beautiful children. And um, I guess, you know, life happened. And it happened for me. I worked hard. I taught school. for. I love children. I love people. Mm. And I um, taught school. I taught school for 30 years. Mm. And I had loved every moment of it. Um, but with my children, it was, um, there was such precious gift. I always wanted to be a mother. Mm. Um, I didn't do anything about sisterhood. Um, so that's what God had my first vocation. Mm. And we lived in a little, we lived in Spartanburg for a while. We lived in Anderson, South Carolina for a while. Um, and things happened. And my marriage turned upside down, 
and um, it just wasn't meant to be. Yeah. And it was time to move on. And so during that time, the um, the children had moved out. Um, Bonnie and Merritt, I had grandchildren. And it was just, I mean, it was wonderful. But I didn't know what God wanted my life to be. Yes. What am I supposed to do now, Lord? I don't know what to do. And I think, Scott, I think I had a dear friend that used to always tell me, I would go to her as a mentor, and I'd say, Mama, what am I supposed to do now? I don't know what to do now. And she would look at me with this stern look, and she'd say, yes, you do. And she'd say, all you have to do is ask God. Mm. Ask God. Mm. And so I'd write back there every time I'd go back to God like I should. Uh, and sure he would answer me so in his time amen so, i oh um, i think it's so important for us to honor that as we have this conversation looking back at all the the water you've rode through and cherishing it and celebrating it it's so important at the same time to go to the other side of the paradox which is it wasn't easy it didn't always feel blessed when a marriage turns upside down, it doesn't feel like you're being led and guided. It feels like everything's falling apart. Yes, it was very, very difficult. My heart goes out to anyone, any woman that has to go through and experience that. But the beauty is if you keep your eyes focused on Jesus, you'll be just fine. Oh, you can say that to, to women going through that right now. You yes, keep your eyes on Jesus and you will be fine. You will be. Mark my words. That must bring such, if you can, if someone in at this stage of your life can grab the hand of a young, scared person and say that with confidence, I can't imagine how much comfort that brings. Oh, and that's what life's about. Oh, that's what life's about. You uh, you cry when you when you mention the names of your children. It shows you love them so. They're now they're now in their forties. Is that right? And fifties. And fifties. Oh, how exciting! Oh my goodness! Wow, it's a big deal. This is a very big deal. You have this is people are probably scratching their heads. There's folks listening that have never met a sister. A Catholic sister, what we often call a nun, even though you would you would tell us that's not the right vocabulary because nuns live in a in a different lifestyle than a sister, right? Yes. But but you're but for shorthand for 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 everyday language, nun is fine. That explains it. So so people don't know that there are sisters, there are nuns with children and grandchildren. How big no. a how big a club are you a part of? Do you meet other no. sisters in that club very often? Um, today, I'm not sure, but I know when I entered, um, Scott, and that was, I became Catholic in 92, um, and I applied to the Franciscan Sisters in 93, and I had to wait three years before I could enter as a contact resident, but when I did enter, there were about six, um, sister moms, but there were more around the United States. Mm. It was just something that had started. But you know, and I, I say this with um, great compassion, 
I don't think that's really what it was really all about. I think that there was a gap, and that gap was sisters not entering, and then the older sisters that were, um, you know, just not quite the energy level that was needed mm, to fill mm-hmm. that gap. And I think God just, he just brought women who had second vocations, women who were in their 40s and um, 30s and 40s and brought them in to fill that gap. And mm. that's exactly we did. So there were about six of us and we had children, we had grandchildren, we could relate to each other. It was a, um, a wonderful... Uh, support system for someone coming totally, you know, from a, a whole other world to another world. Mm. From the north, south to the north was totally different for me. Um, so it was really a nurturing time that God, in his mercy, just provided for us. Are they there still? No. I think I'm one of them, and I have one other sister in Hawaii mm. who has two. But they're probably still around the world. But the focus was not sister moms. The focus was religious life. There it is. Yeah, that's that's right. That makes sense. And I, I know that uh, a future guest on this podcast will be a, a woman named Tracy Watson, who is right now where you were in the in the 1990s. She's raised children. She's been a school teacher for many years in the Cooksaki Athens district. And she is now preparing for vows as a sister of St. Joseph here in the Albany area. Isn't that wonderful? So um, I'm for her. Oh, yes. And you know what? When, when we have that interview, I'll be sure that uh, we'll share it widely so you can hear it. And, uh, and also, she'll, she'll gain strength from you and you'll gain strength from her, I'm sure. I'm sure. So this is, I think we're at a place now where you became Catholic in midlife. And you you felt called into the sisters in midlife. You'd already raised children. You'd been teaching for, for decades. This is a big deal. How did you ever have the flexibility to, to leave all that you'd known? You left, you left not only the the lifestyle that you had as a mom and as a professional, you entered a very different life, a totally different vocation, and you moved hundreds and hundreds of miles in what many would say, who like warm weather, the wrong direction. (laughs) (laughs) That is so true. This is interesting. There are many different communities of sisters around the country. Why did you, what, what brought you to the sisters Franciscan Sisters of Syracuse, New York. Well, I tell you, Father Scott, I, um, when I felt the call to religious life was, I became Catholic, and then I taught school in Stone Mountain, Georgia, in Atlanta, mm. um, and, or close to Atlanta, and while I was there, that's when I converted, and I walked through the school one day, and the secretary looked at me and I had her child in first grade and she looked at me and she said, Francis, now that you're Catholic, you're not thinking about becoming a nun, are you? And I looked at her, my whole life went before me and I said, oh no, 
I said, I'm not holy enough. I could never be a sister. Oh. And I just walked out. So about three months later, I was in the workroom, and there was a Catholic woman that I didn't know. She taught upstairs, and I hardly ever saw her. And we were working in the workroom. She turned around, and she said, you know, Francis, you'd really make a good sister. Well, Scott, my, my spirit went out of me, leaped around me. It popped out of my mouth. It, that's what God wants me to be. So be it. And I floated to my room, literally. I fell on my knees and I wept because I did not know where to begin. Oh. And I just it was him to lead me. And from that point on, I had said my yes like our blessed mother. Oh. And he, he opened all the doors in his time. Oh, <laughs> so, that's so powerful. So I began to search for religious life in the South. Was not here. I couldn't find it anywhere. Um, so I had a dear friend, the one that I went to church with, to the first Catholic church, and she was in California. She invited me there. She said, we have sisters here. I said, okay, I'll come. Um, and so that's what I did. I went and the sisters were on vacation or on retreat. I got their name. I came back home. I wrote a letter. I spelled out my heart to this one sister and about three months later, I began to get all this information from Syracuse, New York, because <laughs> that's where she was from. <laughs> and I could not read it fast enough. I mean, I had already kind of become a hermit. I kind of, well, kind of not that, uh, just um, contemplative. Yeah. I would weekend. I'd do whatever I had to do, teaching, grocery shopping, Friday to Monday. I didn't go out or do anything except mass. And then, um, so... But what happened was, I read St. Francis's book, and The Journey and the Dream, mm. and I realized that I had put on the shelf that I could never be holy. We're all being made holy. Mm. I'm not doing it, but I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, I thought, Francis cracked that open for me, and I knew that this was possible. And so, and then St. Um, Claire opened for me. St. Claire had such a sensitivity to her sisters. They could be way down the convent in, in a whole nother place. And she knew what they felt. Mm. She knew when they were hurting. She knew when she needed to be mother to them. The sensitivity was so deep. Mm. And I desired that. I wanted that for people. And so both of them were a drawing card for me to the Franciscan way of life. And I grew up on a farm. I love nature. I know, you know, a deep, deep, um, everything's holy. Mm. It's created by God. So I was in the right place. Can I tell you, that is, it's so beautiful. Your story is so beautiful. And I, I, we could just all just savor it. And I, but I want to I wanna raise up from it what a relief it is. And I don't think only those who've tasted it know what I mean when I say this. When you realize that the world is not divided into holy and unholy because God made it all. Amen. It's not divided. And I, there's one writer who says something beautiful. There's no such thing as sacred and unsacred. There's only sacred and desecrated. Wow. 
So isn't that powerful? Those things that people have made, have, have disregarded and have made unholy in, in, in air quotes because they refuse to see that it too was made by God. Because there's nothing, there's nothing that, that can't be holy because God made it. Amen. Oh, the freedom that you get when you realize it's almost like, yeah. it's almost like tug of war your whole life. And then you finally get to drop the rope and you fall to the ground and you laugh as you fall because it feels so good not to have that tension anymore. Oh, that is so true. Wonderful picture. Oh, I love it. Thank you. Thank you for saying that so we could share that moment because that's exactly it. Um, everything, everything, everything can be holy. Every We're all called to it. Amen. Oh, wow. So... It, how long did it take before you needed to do a visit up to Syracuse, New York? I had to wait three years, so I kept teaching. They have different kind of um, testing that you need to do. Mm. I went through everything that they had me to do. Um, and after the three years, they said I could come up and visit for a year, contact resident, and live with the sisters, but I'd have to take care of everything myself. You know, I still had to pay my bills. I still had to have my car. I still had. So I did. And I went up and lived. I mean, I couldn't get there fast enough. I'll tell you. I mm. not just catapulted me up there. I, I think he knew if I went slowly, I probably didn't know what I would have done. <laughs> Maybe got sidetracked. But he, I did. And I was so full of joy. I was so, I'll never forget it. And um, I lived with them. I loved them. I, I loved the like-heartedness. Mm. Jesus, Jesus, his mind and his heart are one. We are called for ours to be one mm. in Christ Jesus. And I saw this like-heartedness. I saw this helping the most vulnerable of the vulnerable. I, I saw the servant heart. You know, I, I saw the bleeding heart where you're with people that you just weep with. It was just, I had a whole, I had a whole experience of so much of Jesus. Mm. I, it was just, I, I knew I was where I needed to be no matter what. Mm. Oh, how, what, how nice to have that as a touchstone on the hard days to look back. Yes. And know, it's almost like um, the, the beginning of a relationship when you're so in love. You oh, just... Yeah. Oh, you, you can't sleep. Head over heels. Head over heels in love with Jesus. Head over <laughs> heels. Oh, I love it. I love it. Obviously, following this life involves letting go of some things in life that what, when you think of the letting go that had to happen to leave the, the world, so to speak, you didn't leave the world. You're in an order that's very immersed in the world. The Franciscans, that's one of the things Franciscans are known for is being, you know, hermits in the world, you know, the, the, what would I, what would I say? Mystics without a monastery, you know, yeah. <laughs> which I love, which I love, but, but we got to be honest, being a sister is different. You don't, you don't control where you live. You don't, you live, um, according to a rule, you know, and, and the rule, this is a capital R rule. You live according to a disciplined way of life that has a, it has a chain of command. There's a, there's a, an obedience to it. There's yes. a, 
there's a, a, a denial to self, a renunciation of, of your own ego's desires. Yes. There's a lot of that. When I talk about letting go, and, and you know, our listeners know that you were in midlife doing this. They under, we know what it's like to be set in our ways. I mean, by the time, <laughs> by the time our nest is empty, we're pretty much who we're going to be in life, right? So, I think so. Ooh, when you think of letting go, what comes to mind? What were the letting goes of that time that really, that really stick with you? I think the hardest letting go for me um, was my children. Mm. We'd be moving thousands of miles away. I'd never done that before. I'd always been there for them, um, even though they were grown. You know, we have to. You know, we, we know we have to let them go, but that doesn't mean it's easy. Mm. So that was the hardest thing. So I, I, I gathered, you know, Bonnie and Tommy together, and I, um, I just told them. I said, you know, I'm really discerning about joining a religious order. And they didn't know what it was. And I, you know, I tried to explain it. And I sat there and told them that, you know, it'd be a while because I had to wait three years. But I wanted them to know up front, you know, that I was always their mother. And that's not, that's not going to change anything. That they would probably just gain more mothers. Uh. And so, so, but you know, Father Scott, my son said, he said, wait, go mom. He said, that's the best thing for you. Those mm. were his exact words. Mm, what support. Bonnie, Bonnie just cried. Mm. She just cried and cried. And I said, oh, babe, please don't cry. I said, we're going to work this out. God will have it all working for us. And so she said, Mom, I'm not crying because of that. I said, well, why are you crying? And she said, I had a dream. I had a dream last night. And in that dream, I saw you walking down a long hall into a church into a, um, a, a church but it had a long brick hallway and I said gee B, what did I look like I had no idea uh... and she said <clears throat> she said mom that's all I saw I saw you going down this long hallway and um, she said I guess I just saw you in a habit like I see on TV she said so I knew I knew that something was going to happen Oh. When I got to Syracuse, New York, to the mother house there, and I walked into their chapel, there was a long brick hallway. Oh, my goodness. And that's the truth. So I knew, I mean, they were, we just have to stay open. We just have to stay open. You know, I, I, as you say that, I'm thinking of that famous line that I might be misquoting, but it's quoted so much it's probably changed over the years, that for a believer, no explanation to that is needed. And to a non-believer, no explanation would ever be sufficient. That is, that's beautiful. Isn't that true? If you, don't, if you don't know about God's work in the world, you might say, well, how do you know that's not a coincidence? Right. But for a believer... Especially oh. one who's ju- who knows your story, and now we're just getting a tiny glimpse of it. But I just can't imagine someone not feeling like, "Oh my, my Lord and my God." Amen. There's that song at my vows. You say, "My God and my all, how I long to love you, and give you my heart, and give you my soul." Oh, it's, it's true. 
What was it like? You part of your path is taking vows. Yes. What was it like to take vows? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Hmm. Again, I go back to that song, What Wondrous Love Is This? Mm. Why me, Lord? What have I ever done to deserve all of this mercy and love, Mm. forgiveness, and grace, which is truly sufficient? What did I ever do? Mm. It was... There's so there are really not words for it, Scott. I was there the day of those final vows. I was there and I can't and it was just electric to be there in Syracuse, but with your children. And at that time you only had one grandchild, but he was there. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was just so intensely special. Yes. It was it was, it was, it was, it was. Uh, and then to have you at my ordination yes. years oh. later, almost a, almost a decade later. Oh, my, my. How can we handle it? How can we handle it? I don't know. <laughs> oh. Very gently. Very gently. Tell me, what is, at this stage, you're how many years? We're, we're 25 years in now, sister. Is that right? That's right. Oh. I can't believe it. Somebody pinch me. At this stage, what are your favorite parts of being a sister? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. You know, um, I can remember just being a survivor. Mm. I can remember just trying to make one, one foot in front of the other. I don't have that anymore. Oh. I, sometimes I'm literally dancing, doing that dance of... That dance of life that truly, truly can invite others into that same dance, which is not my dance. It's dancing with the Lord. It's dancing with creation. Mm. It's dancing with life. It's um. It's dancing into the rest of our journeys. Mm. No, and being able to embrace and reach out to others and have them take that hand which is divine mm. and, and dance with you to the freedom of being God's child, mm. integrity and dignity of his love, deep, deep love through the crucifix, through Jesus to bring us back to Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, how beautiful. How be- and I the, to hear a journey as she rowed, there were parts of the rowing that involved just surviving, just surviving. But now you're you're in the bend in the river where you get to thrive. Yeah, I think can the boat turn around. <laughs> <laughs> Do I have to keep going backwards? 
Oh, isn't that true? You know, I got to say, just hearing your life story, it requires, and I don't know how we do it, it requires tremendous flexibility. It's like, how can we get our soul and our bodies to stretch enough to be as flexible as we need to be? You know, it, it requires, Lord, you know, what next? Use me. Take me where you want. Where do you want me to go? I'm willing. I'm willing. Well, because let's, let's admit that you're in that phase right now as well. Although you are a sister and a religious woman uh, for 25 years, you also recently have had the opportunity to, to have a part of your life that you might not have ever expected, which is to be raising a child once again. You have put grandmotherhood on your front burner the past few years, and you live with your grandson, Matthew, who's a treasure, what, what is it like being called to, to raising, to raising a grandson while being a sister? Oh my goodness. You know, again, it's that word privilege. Mm. I would have never thought in a million years that this is what, or that is what I would be doing. But um, it happened, and my daughter needed help, and my grandson needed help, and I was already a sister, and sisters had just supported me 110% or more, and it was, he came to live with me at three years old, and he was so broken. Mm. Oh, my goodness. And I just... It was the good and right thing to do, and that's what we women do. Mm. And I think all of us do. All of us children try. And so I, I knew that no matter what I did, I, I had to step up, and he had to come and live with me. So he did. And he's 10 years old now. Mm. And again, you know what? Yes, there were struggles. Yes, he was angry. Yes, he fought me tooth and nail all the way. Mm. But I promise you, the gift that he taught me about how to love mm. is tremendous for me. The self-sacrifice, the being able to meet women where they are and not drag them to where you want them to be mm. is just... It's just... It's most precious, and it goes in with all those numbers that are in that basket. <gasps> How do you I mean, carry I, that basket? That is heavy. <laughs> well, it, you know, there were days it was, and there were days I would just weep, and I would just say, Lord, how am I going to go on with this? I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this. And I would just, I would sit before my sofa, and I would be on my knees, and I would just place Matthew right there and say he's yours he's mm. yours I cannot do this and and it would always uh, you know it would always turn around and I'd have the strength and courage to keep going and little by little that little boy has felt the love of God and he is most precious mm. he, is, he may be a priest one day mm. I don't know mm -hmm. <laughs> he mm -hmm. may not whatever God wants but oh he loves his Catholic faith he loves his Catholic faith. It's amazing. And it used to, 
that's where he has been healed. That's where he's received that love of God that has helped him to place his anger and his hurt and mm. his pain, you know, before the Lord knowing that God loves him. Oh my goodness. And and so when you've got you're known to so many as Francis in your family and in your growing up town friends, and then you're known to so many of us as Sister Mary Francis, and you're known to him as Mimi. And Mimi. to hear him, oh it's what you're Mimi and he and I just love knowing that um God willing this this conversation will last for 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 long time and and he'll have this when uh when Matthew is telling his grandchildren about his Mimi um, or telling his his congregation when he's a monsignor (laughs) (laughs) or who knows because you know what he's sitting in a boat facing backward (laughs) I love that Sister Mary Francis, there are people listening to this that are captivated by the fact that in midlife, God called you in a direction you never could have expected. What would you say to someone listening who is considering a call to religious life right now? Maybe it's a young person who's uh, trying to figure out what to do with their one wild, precious life. Maybe it's someone in midlife who is feeling a call. Maybe... Who knows who's listening? What would you say to someone considering religious life and maybe feeling confused or scared or, or overwhelmed or drawn with mysteriousness? What would you say? I would say... Um, there was a piece in my vows, and it's talking about walking swiftly, but slowly, steady, um, not going too fast, not going too slowly, um, being very, very mindful. That's a great word. Mm. Where one puts one's feet, one's heart, one's mind as you journey this most precious journey. Mm. We all come from God and we will all go back to Him one day. Um, but I. I think for me there was um, there was a, something that just came across my mind, and if you stay fastened and focused, if you can stay open, no matter what's going on around you, if you can bathe yourself in prayer, which is not always easy. Sometimes I can't pray, but I know there are others praying for me. Mm. Just kneel and know that I'm covered. And mm. I think for all of us. So if I can do that and keep all my senses about me and try to find a good support system, a support system that of people that are like-minded and like-hearted, that the joy of the Lord is my strength. <laughs> Thank you for having the the courage to share 
with all of us something that all of us maybe can't put words to, but all of us can feel some version of me too. When you just said, when a, when a Catholic sister was able to say, sometimes because of the spot I'm in in life, I can't pray, yes. but I can let others pray for me. That's so important. There's people that feel such shame when they can't pray, but sometimes that's what desolation is sometimes, or that's what it is when you're in the dark night, you can't pray. That's part of the dark. It's part of the stripping so that you, you know, it's the stripping involves knowing that prayer isn't just a commodity or a, an app on your phone that you turn to when you need a pick me up. No. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> oh. Can I tell one more story? And this is for mothers Please. that have trouble leaving or wondering, will my children be all right? Um, my children came to visit me once in Syracuse. They flew up and they came and they stayed and I mean, we did so many fun things together. They could see what my life like was like with the sisters. The sisters loved them just extravagantly, mm. and and they loved them. But when they left, my sisters took me to the airport with my children, and when they left, I lost it. Mm. I felt like that my heart was being ripped right out of my body, and. I tried to hold back the tears, and they got on the plane, and they left, and the sisters so wanted to comfort me, and there was just no comfort Mm. to come from them, and they kept saying, well, let's go to a movie, and we do this, this is what we do, let's go to a movie, let's go out to eat, how about ice cream, come on, and I said, you know what? I need to go back to the convent. I need to go back to the convent. And so that's what I did. Mm. And I crawled, literally crawled on my bed, my little twin bed. And I remember curling up in the fetus position. And I cried. And I cried. And I cried. And all of a sudden, I sat up. And I always kept paper and pencil by my bed. And I wrote a poem to Mm. both of my children. And I told them, I begged them, please, when you have pain, don't run. Mm. When you have pain, embrace it. Because Jesus will meet you right there. Mm. And I sent it to them, and I was fine. <laughs> I, was, I thought, Lord, you were so good to this little person. <laughs> oh. No, but I have to share that, because... He loves them more than we do. Oh. I have to embrace that. <laughs> so, but I was so thankful. Oh. So, oh. That, so is, can, that is a I treasure. I went out with the sisters later. They felt better. <laughs> I bet. Because they just wanted to comfort you so much. But isn't that interesting? But you knew. They weren't feeling your pain, so they weren't aware, but you knew that to choose a movie or ice cream or dinner would be numbing and running. Yeah, and that you can't do it. And you can't do it. Isn't that just so powerful? So I leave you that with all precious mothers, with all all the beautiful women out there that God is calling to religious life, 
oh my goodness, I hold you so gently, so tenderly in my heart and in my prayers that you will discern just what it is that God has for your lives. Mm. Sister, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. And you know, thank you, you. you, you, you came into my life when you were new to the sisters and I was, I was new to adulthood. I was in my early twenties, uh, working as a, as a volunteer at a Catholic hospice house. And, um, you introduced me to a word that I still, uh, love and practice today. And that's the word ponder. So I would like to invite our listeners to join us in a moment of quiet pondering because before we go, we have to hold to our hearts some of the things that were shared today so that we don't allow them to slip away. So let's start with just a moment of pondering. If you'd like to just join me in some quiet, maybe close your eyes if you're comfortable with that, and let us consider some of the things that we heard today and how they affect our lives and our journey. What are the golden nuggets from your journey that you are grateful to have added to your basket? What are the things from from previous experiences, maybe that you might have labeled as bad at the time or as incomplete perhaps, that now you realize are part of something beautiful God was doing in your life? How is it that you stay open to what God is asking of you? How, how are you mindful of where you put your feet, your heart, and your thoughts? What are, what are the times that you've had a dream or a prompting or a stirring that you, you had an invitation to respond to? Who in your life do you really feel listens to you? Who do you feel you really listen to so that there can be heart talk and not just ideas being shared? The next time that you're too troubled to pray, can you allow yourself to feel others praying for you? and be blanketed by that. If you are in a time of your life where you are just surviving one day, one foot in front of the other, can you be open to the the faith that says, one day I will thrive? Though today I may be in the fetal position, the day will come when I will be dancing the dance of life? Is there a pain in your life right now that you are willing to not run from, but to surrender to so that it may pass? Sister Mary Frances, this has been such a privilege, another word that you love, a privilege and a delight for us Thank you so much for taking the time to share this sacred story with us. Father Scott, I will always love you. We are brother and sister in Christ Jesus. And I thank God every day that you came into my life 
and have made such a difference. So I love you. God loves you more. I just um, will hold everyone in my heart and in my prayers. Thank you for letting my heart grow. Thank you for the heart talk. And I love you too. And I'm going to say back to you what you always say to me. I love you and God loves you more. And may our listeners know that. May you listeners know that in the deepest way that you are loved by many people. But no matter how many or how much that love is, God loves you more. And may God bless you all.